I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me, every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Daniel Black is the author of Black on Black on our resilience and brilliance in America. And you might not expect it, given the heaviness of the topic, but we had a lot of laughs in this conversation. Daniel is an author and professor of African-American studies at Clark Atlanta University. His books include The Coming, Perfect Peace, and They Tell Me of a Home. He is the winner of the Distinguished Writer Award from the Mid-Atlantic Writers Association and has been nominated for the Townsend Prize for Fiction, the Ernest J. Gaines Award, and the Georgia Author of the Year Award. He's also the author of Don't Cry For Me, which we talked about on this podcast another time. He was raised in Blackwell, Arkansas, and lives in Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you so much for coming back for a second time on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, this time to discuss Black on Black on our resilience and brilliance in America. Or maybe I should say Black on Black like five times because that's what it's right. like. It's actually called Black on Black, Black on Black, Black on Black, Black. That's black. right. Okay. Or black on Black on Black on Black on Black. Oh, okay. That too. All right. <laughs> Anyway, welcome. <laughs> so glad to be here. Thank you, Zibby, for having me. So honored. Your last book was a, a really tender, beautiful novel, Don't Cry For Me, which we discussed. And now you're back with a very personal, very raw and open and almost painful and yet hopeful, all mixed into one 
collection of thoughts and feelings and essays and all of that. So tell me a little bit about when you decided to write this, why you decided to write this, how it came to be, and and kind of what you want readers to take away. Well, Zibi, I think there are two reasons I decided to write this essay collection. One of those was when the when everything was happening with George Floyd, I just got to the place, Zibi, where I said, at some point, at some point, enough has to be enough. Something just has to give. I said, you know, we just cannot keep burying black men over and over and over and saying, oh my God, this is bad. Oh my God, this is bad. Oh my God, how awful. Oh, isn't this terrible? Isn't this awful? You know, at some point, we have to stop this. And I decided that I wanted to say some things very directly to America. And that's why I decided I wanted to write this book, because if the pen is, in fact, as powerful as the sword, which I believe it is, then at this point, I'm literally fighting for the life of black men. I'm a black man. So, you know, I just decided I needed to speak to America unfiltered. I love it. You started out with a really powerful introduction, which I would love to read a little bit of. Yes, Um, please. And then you go into, you know, and we can talk about some of the themes that you into went into everything from your own sexuality and how you sort of owned that over time and the role of the church and, and yes. how you feel about prayer and what the church yes. can do and, yes. and and so much. But you you basically set the stage for us and all of your experiences with this introduction, which uh, you call a sermon, which feels like you could be standing up. I'm not going to do this. Maybe I shouldn't even read it. Maybe you should be reading it, but I'm going to give it my best shot okay. as, a, as a white woman here in New York City, you know, reading your sermon. But anyway, do with this what you will. I write because I believed I was ugly. Then I wrote myself into beauty. I write because I hated who I was. Then God told me I was divine and shame had no place in a divine soul. In exchange, I promised God to tell the truth, the real, naked, glorious truth, that we are all gods made in the image of a perfect, marvelous creator. I'm going to jump around a little bit, but I promise to tell that God is not concerned with flesh and blood, but with spiritual ecstasy shared between the living and the ought to be living. So with pen and paper, I set about the duty of setting the world free. I write because we rape. I write because we hurt. I write because some pain can't be described. It can only be felt in the marrow of a story or the lyrics of a song. I write for the boy who wanted to be a man but couldn't figure out how, or the girl who dreamed of beauty but inherited brilliance instead. I write that they might not give up the fight, that they might know that failure is in others' eyes, not their being. It is in others' judgmental hearts, not their sacred difference. I write that they might live, that their stories might be holy and sacred, read by others, standing at the cliff, weeping, trembling. I write to soothe wounds too deep to hate to heal. And then you, I'm just going to jump around. I write that troubled black youth might happen to pass a mirror, then dance at what they see. I write that elders might know their lives were not in vain. I write to tell gay brothers they're straight too, to yeah. shed light on the power of love and everyone's right to have it. I write to give readers permission to take it back. Yes. To tell the world to kiss your ass as if it thinks you're going to die, to satisfy other people's outdated, antiquated beliefs. So I write... And I'm going to write until the wind outsings my pen. If there's no paper, 
I shall use the wall. If there is no wall, I shall use my hand. If I must relinquish my hand, I shall use the very earth upon which we stand and scratch into the dust the sentiments of liberty. And then you go on. And then at the end, you say, then we'll rise like the sun and comfort like an evening breeze and satisfied like a shading tree and be finally whatever God is. This is why I write. All you have to do is read. Oh my gosh. Wow. (laughs) Powerful, powerful. I feel like if you were reading this and I was sitting there, I would be crying is how I feel. Wow. So anyway, I did not do it justice. (laughs) How do you, how do you even, how do you feel like with all the, all of this stirring up and like, you know, your, your siren call for everybody to basically wake up and pay attention. Like what is that? How it's so emotional. It is emotional and it's exhilarating. I must admit, it's exhilarating. You know, Zibi, I had no no notion that this book would kind of come out of the gate sprinting the way it's doing right now. And I'm so humbled. I'm so excited. I'm so thrilled. And very much like you, everyone who's read it thus far has, I mean, I get hundreds of emails every day now. Oh my God, this book was so raw. Everyone uses the word raw, interestingly enough. Mm. Like, like I've seen raw 30 times. Sorry, I'll come up with another one. No, 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 no. In fact, it's, it, it's a confirmation of something, I think, which is, which is really wonderful. And, and folks uh, seem to really love the honesty of this book, the vulnerability of it, you know? And, and that's what I want to invite all of us into, a kind of vulnerability where, where we stand in our truth unashamed. And that's what I'm praying this book will do. And I read from it practically every day now, sometimes two and three times a day, because you know how that goes. And <laughs> always, our people always ask, oh my God, you got to read from that first essay. You must read from that first essay. And I do. And you're right. I probably sound different from you reading. You <laughs> sound a lot better, I'm sure. I should have just had you, I should have asked you to read. But no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. In fact, I kind of liked it in your voice because then, you know, because I've never heard it. So to speak. <laughs> you know, so, so, so this is great. But it really is exhilarating. And, and really what's I think most fantastic is the number of people who are reading it of all races, all creeds, all genders. Uh, it's just been fantastic to, uh, to get the kind of adulation and praise from, from segments of the entirety of society. That's been a beautiful thing. Wow. Well, I think when we bear our most elemental parts of our nature, yes. it enables everyone because underneath it all, there are so many of the same thoughts and feelings. And when we strip everything else and let the inside show, then we have That's right. we all recognize each other. That's right. That's yeah. right. Tell me a little bit. You, you you made a little joke. You were like, there was no being in the closet for me as I was like in middle grade singing and dancing and doing my thing. And yeah. you know, that it was it was always somewhat obvious. And even when you think back to to parts of the time when you were like you know, smoking weed and trying to be all quote unquote masculine and getting some praise for that, you realize like, well, this is like square peg, round hole type of thing. Tell me a little bit about coming into your own identity and your own sexuality in addition to to race. Sure, sure, sure. You know, that essay about the closet was one of the most difficult to write, not so much for the personal, but but because I know that the closet is really a very complicated space, right? And I know, and some people, quite frankly, are in the closet for safety, right, in terms of the, of the ways in which others in our society deal with people who are different, especially in terms of sexuality. But one of the things for me 
is that I was always, I was always so unbelievably expressive. I was always, always so unbelievably dramatic. I was always unbelievably artistic. I was, you know, I did theater, I did dance, I did poetry, I was the choir director, I played the piano, you know, all of these things that are, that, that put me squarely in the middle of expressive culture, but that landed me completely outside of anybody's construct of masculinity, right? Now, you know, when I was, 12, 10, 12 in rural Arkansas, I didn't know categories of sexuality. I didn't know terms like heteronormativity. There was no such thing as fluid when we were in the seven, you know, this is the seventies, you know, there was no such thing as LGBT. We didn't have any of that. So you were just funny, you know, (laughs) you know, really, I mean, you know, it's funny how far we've come in terms of terminology and giving a certain kind of level of honor to levels of difference. But at the time, what I knew was that I was quickly evolving into the kind of boy no one wanted. Mm. Right. I knew that instinctively. I was very, very, very much aware of that. And people were telling me things, Zibby, I don't know how explicit I can be here, but people were telling me things about ways I should treat girls and women that seemed so unbelievably abusive to me. And I just didn't want to do that. I, you know, I had a sister to whom I was very, very close. And, and when I imagined a boy doing that to her, I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. But it was what boys not only were expected to do, encouraged to do. You know, and men would ask me questions about very almost uh, uh, um, assaulting kinds of things. Like you've never felt a woman's this or you've never, and I was like, how would I have done that? You know, and and, and what I realized, maybe quite frankly, is, okay, then if that's what manhood is, I don't want it. Mm -hmm. I don't want it. The problem though, was I had no other category because I never wanted to be a girl either. That was never, so I was like, "Then, then what the hell am I? What do I get to do? What do I get to be, you know? And so I just kind of had to flounder in the dark and be nothing. And for years and years and years, I did no sexual anything. I had no, because I, I was, I was afraid to be abusive and ugly. And I was afraid I was against God. You know, the whole thing, the whole thing, I did all of that for years until I went to graduate school and learned conceptions and terms and all of that. And, and, and so how I, I could construct my own freedom and all of that. And then I realized that even the way I understood my own sexuality was in a very fluid way. I, you know, I never knew that I had to be only one thing forever and always, mm-hmm. you know, that even if I had the thought of, of, of having sex with a girl or I had the thought of having sex with, you know, it, it took you out of the other category. You know, I didn't I didn't know the categories were completely and absolute. Right. And so I began to I began to think of myself and and wonder what it, what it was or what description I could grab a hold of that really explained the complexity of the way I had evolved. I was a reader also, you know, all of these complications. And so um, very simply, I got to the point by 25 or so when I said, you know, I'm a sexual being. That's what I'm clear about. Right. And and I'm just going to take the right to be sexual with anyone uh, I choose to. It doesn't have to be absolute. And yes, I can be sexual with men. And yes, I'm attracted to men, all that. Sure, 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 sure. But but there were some women I could imagine having sex with too. And I said, I don't have to erase that. I don't have to erase, you know, that that truth in, in order for me to be clear 
about myself. And so the beauty, I, I feel like, of that essay is I'm really simply trying to say that the closet is as narrow. The closet is as narrowly conceived. The closet is as problematic as what people understand to be uh, freedom in some instances, right? In other words, in other words, I realized that people in the closet were hiding, that freedom wasn't in the closet, right? And I was looking for freedom, right? And I, and if freedom wasn't in the closet, then I don't want it. Then I can't go there. I, I mean, where do I get to be free? Where can I be my, my full self, my full black you know, fluid, expressive. Where can I be that? And what I realized is that most people in, in America were saying, you can't be all of that. Mm. You got to choose one of them and stick with that. You know, and I was like, well, hell, that's why God is invisible because God doesn't believe in this bullshit we doing, you know? And so this is, some, this is how my thinking began. And, and quite frankly, I just got to the place where I decided that, to write this essay collection, I was going to stand in my fullest authenticity and whoever could handle it could stand with me. And those who could not, I'll let you live in your limitation. Oof. Okay. <laughs> I'm here. I'm standing. <laughs> We're talking. <laughs> We're talking. We're talking. <laughs> Bring it on. I can take it. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect 
therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Moms Don't Have Time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Moms Don't Have Time. Well, well, let's talk about God for a little bit because you yeah. do have a whole essay on the role yeah. of the church and how you view that and what they should and shouldn't do. So talk a little bit about that and your relationship with God now. Absolutely. God and I are best, best, best now. <laughs> God is my homie. God, God, listen, God is, God is my being. Um, but I will say that, you know, I grew up in the church. I've always, always, always loved church. I've, I've generally hated the theology of the church, but I love the culture of the church. Black church music is going to be hard to beat. It's going to be hard to beat black church music. It's going to be hard to beat black church ritual, right? There's a way that black people, Zibby, do ritual when we go to church in terms of rhythm, in terms of cadence, in terms, I mean, you know, you've, you've certainly experienced it. That is authentically a part of, of what Africans brought to this country called America, right? And that is something I will absolutely never, ever, 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 ever relinquish. I also love the black church for the role it played in the civil rights movement. There is no civil rights movement without the black church. For those reasons, I, I hold on to the black church. My biggest thing is I want us to get rid of this debilitating theology. I want us to get rid of this theology that tells us to hate ourselves, that tells us that the gay people are going to hell, that tells men that they should govern women, to, to, um, that a man is a woman's head and all of this. Like I think all of these are oppressive notions. Even this, this thing in the Bible, slaves obey your masters. What? <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh. You're so, so I just want to say for people listening, <laughs> Daniel keeps like coming really close to the camera and being like, what? And all of a sudden his face is like in my office. You know, like, yeah, like <laughs> and Zibby, you have to forgive me because Zibby, you know, if you think about it, what God would say then? Yes. Would tell a slave, you know, and I think of, of course, you know, I have a PhD in African studies and, and so black said, I've studied this, this, you would tell my ancestors they should have obeyed those people in that system. No way, no way, no way. Which means then I'm questioning the authenticity of this book called, and I am, I am, I absolutely am. But that is against Christianity as religion, and quite frankly, Zippy, that's against my own people in so many ways because my own people believe in that book. Some of them believe in it without question. And I think that is absolutely problematic. I think it's absolutely problematic. And I think it, I think it counters Black freedom in so many ways and in so many instances. And in fact, you know, I'm voting for a Black Bible, quite frankly. I'm voting for a new Bible that somebody, some bold person, might have might have the guts to write one day. Is that um, you? Is that you? I'm not, I'm not going to say anything else yet. I'm not going to say anything else yet. I'm, Zibby, but I'm telling you, the, the day is coming very, very soon. Wow. You and I will meet again. So you're secretly rewriting the Bible. That is big stuff. It's huge. It's huge. It's huge. It's absolutely Jeez. Huge. Yeah, it's absolutely huge. But the truth of the matter is it's long overdue. Yeah. Because all it's really saying is if you can speak for God, I can too. Mm. You can't own, nobody can own God. You can't own God's thoughts. You can't own God's voice. 
No person can, no people can. And listen, human beings wrote the Bible as we know it. It was not God. Human beings wrote that. Right. Human beings wrote, and I'm not mad about that, but human beings can write something else also. Hmm. Well, I can't wait to discuss that. Now that's an interesting, I mean, not that this is not an interesting project. That is like a, a biblical skill. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. It is. Gargantuan. <laughs> But uh, that's why I wrote Black on Black, right? The point of Black on Black is, in many instances, to trouble the waters uh, Mm -hmm. here in America, uh, to stir, if you will, what we think of as the comfort of oppression, right? To disrupt ways in which we are okay with with each other's bondage. Mm. And, And I'm praying that this book will, in fact, do that work. Wow. Oh my goodness. Tell me one story from your tour so far. I know it's still early days, but one connection you've made, some conversation you've had since the book is, since someone's read the book, that's just, you'll yes. never forget. It's so many. And, and the book has only been out like two couple of weeks now, yeah. right? but just the most amazing stories. Probably the most poignant one was I went on campus, you know, I teach at a black college, Clark Atlanta University. I was on campus maybe a week ago. And a young man approached me and said, hey, Dr. Black, Dr. Black, I got your book. And I said, hey, son, thank you, thank you. He said, hey, listen, I actually read the whole thing. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so, I'm so appreciative. And he said, uh, I have to tell you something, Dr. Black. And I said, okay. He said, I never knew that, like, and he hesitated. And I said, son, just say it. He said, I, I really, it never crossed my mind that Black people could, could actually write something God said. I said, wow. He said, I, I just didn't know that like you could write something and like say that God said it. I said, how do you think we got a thing called a Bible? It was not God's hand that came down from the sky and, and, and wrote on these pages. What are you talking about? Somebody, he said, yeah, but they weren't black. I was like, oh. Was he, not that it mattered, was he black? Yes. Yes. I said, oh, I said, son, I said, then I'm so glad. I'm so glad you've read Black on Black because the question of of spiritual authority and who gets to construct that authority, you absolutely need to know that 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 is a human question. And the truth of the matter is every culture on the planet has said what God said. Native Americans have a notion of what God said. Jews have a notion of what God said. Uh, Europeans have a notion of what God said. Africans have a notion of what God said. And it can't be more or less legitimate based upon people's preference of people. One has to really understand that everybody gets to construct God because God is a construct. God is not really a person. God is what God is a construct. But that doesn't mean God is not real. It just means that we're applying the name and the, and the idea to, to this thing, this entity. And so we had the most amazing conversation. And I just saw in his eyes, Zippy, this enlightenment, like I too get to participate. And it was just the most, it was just the most remarkable thing. Oh my gosh, look at you going around changing lives. Well, listen, I'm certainly trying. <laughs> Daniel, well, now I feel bad calling you Daniel. Dr. Black, thank no, you so Daniel's much. Fine. <laughs> thank you so much for sharing all of this in your book with listeners. I mean, this is a, uh, I don't want to use the word raw again because, you know, I hate to be. Uh, no, please uh, use it. You know, reductive or whatever. But I really think it's just so, let's see, another word aside from raw, so true, so. Mm-hmm 
unfiltered, mm. and so passionate all at the same time. Yes. And that is a really great combination for a yeah, book. Yeah. And so I will be watching you soar and congratulations. And I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And to all the viewers and all the listeners, I'm so, so humbled to be included in this space. It is, it's, it's just a sacred space and it feels so safe. And Zibi, I thank you for this creation. Thank you so much. Absolutely. All right. Okay. Yeah. Right. Next time, the Bible. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Bye. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 